Man, I got to get a percentage on that. That's got to be at least 50% right there. That's awesome. How is everybody? Excellent. All right. Good, good, good. Hey, uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love the opportunity after the service. I, there's some new faces I see out here, and that's good. I'd, I'd love to talk to you after the service and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, we are starting a new series tonight. We started a new series on Sunday called Overflow, where we're looking at Psalm 23, so be sure to join for the second week of that next week, but here tonight we're also starting a new series, a Wednesday series called Deep Tracks Only. And I've been told that I need to explain what that means because I've had several people come up to me. One person asked, are you talking about like snow tracks, like deep snow tracks in the snow? I said, no. Someone said, well, are you talking about like footprints at the beach? I said, no, not that either. And then the funniest one, somebody said, you know, whenever you say deep tracks only, it reminds me of Moose Tracks ice cream. <laughs> and I said, it's, it's not that either. However, maybe we should reevaluate and do something with that. But no, when I say deep tracks only, what we're talking about is, you know how when somebody really, really likes a music artist and they don't want to settle just for the hits anymore, they want to take a deep dive into everything that that artist does. So they'll say, let's get into the deep tracks. And sometimes they'll even say, deep tracks only. And so in this series, what we want to do is just that, dive into the deep tracks. Some of the least read books of the Bible we're wanting to look at over the next five weeks. And not just look at, but we're going to read the entire book of each five weeks. So it's going to be a really, really good series in I'm looking very much forward to it because one of the best weapons against the enemy's schemes is really to be armed with the truth of the scriptures, right? So we've got to be a people who take a deep dive and we love God so much that we don't just settle for the Romans 8 and the Galatians 5 and those things are good and we need to dwell there, but we also want to take the deep dive. So that's what we're going to do in this series and tonight we're going to look at Obadiah. And Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, and essentially it's a series of divine judgments against a country called Edom. Uh, but it doesn't stop there, and we'll get through that here in just a little bit, but let me give a little bit of background on Edom before we move forward so we have a better understanding of the book. Uh, Edom has a shared ancestry with Israel. Now, if you go back to Genesis 25 through 27, um, the genealogy here, they're, they're both a part of Abraham and Sarah, they have a kid named Isaac, and Isaac marries Rebekah, and they have two kids named Jacob and Esau. And in Genesis 25 through 27, you'll see that their names change. Jacob's name changes to one who wrestles with God, and Edom changes, or essentially means red, because Esau, one night, he decides he's going to trade his birthright for a bowl of red stew. 
So that's where the red comes from. And so Jacob wrestles with God. Now I found that very interesting. That, that There's really two kinds of people, aren't there? There's those who withdraw completely from God. And then there are those who fight God at every turn, right? And maybe you found yourself in both of those camps throughout your life. I don't know. But, but I think God would much rather us be one who wrestles with him, right? Because that at least demonstrates that you care enough to actually put up a fight or at least show interest in wanting to engage him in some way, right? And so Esau right here has given up his birthright for a bowl of stew. And I think there's a whole other message that we could have gone into tonight about how really this is what the world does, right? Like Philippians 3 says, their God is their belly. So whatever comes impulsively, whatever is natural and quick and and narrow focus and is just in, in this moment... That's kind of what the world thinks about often, right? But God wants us to have a bigger picture here. So Esau um, is Edom, and Edom means red because of that situation. Now, if you go down to Deuteronomy 27, and you look at verse 8, it says this. Uh, It says, Do not despise an Edomite, for they are related to you. So they've got all these problems, all right? Israel and Edom have all these problems dating all the way back to Jacob and Esau in the womb. All right, and they've got all these issues, but at the same time, they're related. So think about family relationships, guys. I mean, if you had any siblings growing up or cousins or something like that, you, you probably noticed you fought about some silly things, right? In fact, there are some things in my household that I never really thought I'd have to say. But I say on the day-to-day, right, stop poking at your sister, right? Stop trying to uh, get on her nerves just because you want to get on her nerves, right? And that's not just in my family. That's really every family. I remember growing up, and Tab's going to hate this because, you know, she doesn't like people to look at her. So if everybody would look at her real quick, that would be great. (laughs) But I I remember uh, when she was 16 and I was 10, bless her heart, man, she had to share a room with her 10-year-old brother when she was 16. And that's kind of like, if you think back to that age, that's kind of like the worst thing, really. Right? And so we would argue. I'd be like, Tab, stop looking at me. And she'd be like, well, you were looking at me first. So, you know, if you stop looking at me, I'll stop looking at you. Right? All this kind of silly stuff. Well, but I do remember distinctly one time when I was like around 12 years old, I was on the phone with somebody. And she's over here in the conversation and somebody says something that's pretty not nice to me. I can't remember really exactly what it was, but she overhears it. And she goes over there, and she grabs the phone, and she says, Hey, you can't talk to my little brother that way. You're going to apologize right in this moment. And I thought, wow, okay, she doesn't hate me. That's great, right? <laughs> but that's the way it's supposed to be between Edom and Israel. Even though they're relatives and they bicker and all these different things, at the end of the day, they ought to have each other's backs. So if there are things going on in the world, if one of them is hurting, really the other one ought to step up and be there for them. Well, in uh, 2 Kings, let's see, 2 Kings 25, uh, Babylon invades Jerusalem, and instead of Edom saying, hey, you can't do that to them, we've got your back, they go the complete opposite direction. They don't even say, you know, let's just stand by and watch this happen. 
they go the other end of the extreme and they start to loot and, uh, and take Israelites captive and all these different things. And so um, that's where Obadiah is writing. They're taking advantage of the situation for their own benefit. So Obadiah is writing here a, a series of judgments against Edom for their behavior, essentially, when they should have had Israel's back. Instead, they use it for their advantage. And one of the biggest problems that Edom had at this time is there was a high level of arrogance. Um, and they very literally, they lived in the mountains, they, they see everybody else fighting and stuff like that, and they think they're so smart that they figured this thing out, they figured out how to avoid God's judgment, they figured out how to avoid any kind of issues in their lives and all these things, they think they've figured it all out. And so Obadiah is writing to them and saying, hey, don't be so arrogant here. To think that you've got things figured out while your brother is over here struggling. Now, one more thing you got to know before we get into the scriptures. Obadiah talks about the day of the Lord coming for all nations. He says that, I think, in verse 15. And he's saying that Edom will face judgment for their wickedness, but so will all nations for their wickedness. Now, that's important for us to realize. So the day of the Lord, you see that throughout the Old Testament several times. You see it in Joel chapter 2 and 3. Uh, you see it in Amos 9. Uh, but it's never the final word of God. So his judgment is never the final word in the Old Testament. You see, after the day of the Lord, in Joel 2, God will prepare a new way forward. He'll make a way, and, and those who call on his name will be saved. So this is a foreshadowing of Jesus to come here. Same in Amos 9. God will restore the kingdom of God. And this is after the day of the Lord. And same concept here in Obadiah that we're going to look at. So the day of the Lord, and then a new way forward, a new kingdom, which we know now Jesus brought about in Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This is what we're talking about. This is what Obadiah is foreshadowing, that after the day of the Lord, there will be a new kingdom, and this kingdom will reign forevermore. Now, let's get into reading through Obadiah, starting in verse 1 here. It says, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So see, he's speaking to their arrogance here. They've placed themselves in high places. They think they've earned for themselves. They think they've made it where they are because they're so awesome, which is a good reminder for us here tonight, right? That there may be things that we've done and we really think we've done something, you know, we think, because I've worked hard, I've got to this place, and certainly that contributes, right, to success. Or I think, man, I've really done blank, or I've really done blank, but really, anything that we do is a gift from God. And we have to remember that, right? I mean, if we think we're really smart, who gave us that brain, right? Who gave us the ability to work hard, right? Who put us in the position? Who gave us opportunities? Everything comes back to God. And I think right now, Edom has forgotten that, right? They think they've earned, they, they got the blueprint, right? The, the blueprint for success, they've got it, Israel doesn't, and so they think that they're superior. And I always tell people that 
Christians should never walk with a swagger or with a limp, either one. That we walk with confidence, but our confidence comes in Jesus Christ, right? It doesn't come in anything that we've done. We should never walk with a swagger, and we should also never walk with a limp because we have security in Christ. Verse 5, if thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Teman, Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots of Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their uh, calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble." The day of the Lord is near for all nations. Now, let's stop right here. Did you see that shift? He's, he's condemning uh, Edom right now, right? But then in verse 15, everything really changes right here. Let's read it again. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. So he's telling them about their arrogant ways and the ways they've treated their brothers so poorly in this distress but now he's saying the day of the Lord or the judgment is here for all nations. It's, it's not just Edom. It's not just Israel. It's for all nations. And we all deserve judgment, don't we? And that is something that we've got to fundamentally understand. Now, without this statement, it would be easy for Israel to say, Hey, Edom, be more like us, and then you'll be doing okay. Right? Get, get with the program. Become more like an Israelite. And then you'll be doing well. But what does Obadiah say here? He says, for all nations, right? And I think this is what happened uh, with some of the first century Jews who, who said this whole Jesus thing has got to stay here, right, with the Israelite people instead of going out to all the nations. There was this mentality of become like me, become the way that we do things. Instead, Jesus wanted to bring this thing out to all nations. Judgment is coming for all nations. All of us deserve judgment and... We can all find life through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so it's so important for us to realize he's not just condemning Edom. Judgment is coming for all nations. The day of the Lord is, for, is near for all nations. Let's continue reading. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance, 
it will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. So, on Mount Zion, this is a reference to Jehovah and the kingdom of God. It's so important for us to realize. So if you go to Joel chapter 3 or Revelation 21, you'll see that Mount Zion is associated with the kingdom of God. So what this is referencing is that delivering from judgment comes through the kingdom of God. That's where there will be deliverance. Those who do not trade their birthright, like Esau did, right? Those whose God is not their belly, but their God is God, will have deliverance through Mount Zion. That's why this is such good news. It's such amazing news when you understand the Old Testament. And then you see when Jesus comes in and he says, repent. Why? For the kingdom of God has come near. Man, this, if you heard this and you knew the Old Testament, you would have been so excited, right? Because this is Mount Zion coming. This is deliverance. So there, the, the day of the Lord is near, but also thereafter a new way forward is coming as well. That's so important for them to realize, right? The kingdom of God is here. It's here. This is what Obadiah is foreshadowing coming up. Verse 18. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble and they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israel exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in the Sephon, I just forget it, I'm not even going (laughs) to, will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Now, that last line is so critical, right? The kingdom will be the Lord's. It encompasses, really, the whole reality of the situation, doesn't it? The kingdom will be the Lord's. You know, Edom had become a very arrogant nation, and they thought they had their own kingdom, right? They thought they had this thing figured out. But you remember when... um, when the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, you're going to bear a child and his kingdom will never end. Right? That the, the Lord is coming and his kingdom will never end. That's the foreshadowing here. This is what Obadiah is foreshadowing. He's saying the Lord, Jesus Christ, is coming. The kingdom of God will be here and that reign, not like the, the short-lived reign of, of Edom, right? Not like that reign, but will be here forever, for all time. And so deliverance comes from Mount Zion. If we want to escape judgment, it's through the kingdom of God, which is at Mount Zion. So important. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference, this is so critical, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
So Obadiah shows us our need for the Lord through this new kingdom that transcends Israel, transcends Edom, transcends any kind of Gentile nation. It is his kingdom that we must be born into in order to have any kind of inheritance moving forward. And now we're one family. I mean, isn't that good news? Like we don't have to say, I got just the right way of doing church. God's going to be proud of me, right? I go to this kind of church, not a house church, not a mega church, not a whatever, right? We're all one family now. And we don't have to say, you know what, I got the blueprint. I got it, right? I figured it out. My kingdom's got it going on. No, no, we just declare, God, it is your kingdom. You are Lord Jesus, and it is your kingdom forevermore, forevermore. And so now the question as we, before we get back into worship, really is this. Do we want everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved? I mean, that's really something that we've got to think about, right? Is there room for your enemies on Mount Zion in your heart? I mean, that's really the question we've got to ask, right? Because Jesus is the great equalizer. And maybe there are people in your life, I know in writing this down, I was hit like a ton of bricks. Do I want everyone to be delivered? Do I want that? Is my heart saying that? Or do I want that judgment? Do I want that day of the Lord on somebody, right? We've all had that moment where we're like, yeah, I'll give myself a pass, but this person here, you know, <laughs> needs some judgment, you know, right? Where's our hearts at? Where, where is it, right? This is a new kingdom, and is there room in this kingdom for everybody? Is there room for our enemies, I mean, that's a tough question, right? Those who have harmed us, maybe those who have spit in our face, is there room in this kingdom, in our hearts, really? Um, Dallas Willard, you know, I mean, got to get Dallas Willard in there, right? Um, Psalm 23, we're in right now, that series on Sundays. And um, when David talks about God preparing a table for him in the presence of his enemies, Dallas Willard says that maturity in the faith is when you can be sitting at that table and you want to give your enemy a drink. You want to offer them some food. Now that's, now we're not talking about the enemy, right? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the enemy. We're talking about flesh and blood enemies, like our perceived enemies. Like, are we at a place here tonight where we would say, yeah, I'd like for you to sit at the table too. I'd like for you to have a drink. I'd like for you to eat here. And if not, why not? And maybe it's because we just forget that judgment was coming for us too. But the grace of God has covered our sin. Man, that's a great place to be. And y'all, the early Christians, man, they did that. I don't know if you know the story about the, where the, the, the term extra, go the extra mile comes from. But, you know, Romans would say, hey, you got to carry my pack for a mile. And the Christians would go the extra mile, right? This radical, radical way of being, of loving your enemies. And I think it's up to us in a culture that says, you know, we're going to divide on this issue, we're going to divide on this issue, we're going to divide on this issue, for us to just be able to say, hey, guys, all are welcome in this kingdom. You may have spit in my face, but, man, I would love for God to work in your life. What would it look like for us to just be such an advocate for our enemies to get in good with God, right? For Jesus to actually work in their life. I mean, wouldn't that be a great place for us to land? And so the book of Obadiah shows us judgment coming. It shows us deliverance 
through Mount Zion in a kingdom that lasts forever. And if we're a part of this kingdom, then we're all one family forever. That's good news to me. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we, thank you for, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your entire word. Uh, we thank you for stories like this that really give us a glimpse or an insight into um, the coming Jesus and, and deliverance and freedom and what you've saved us from. I mean, you say that, you know, the day of the Lord has come for all nations or is near for all nations. And we're just so thankful that you have made a new way forward since. And so whenever you say, when your angel says to Mary, you know, hey, uh, this kingdom's going to last forever. Man, just help us to see how good of news that is here tonight. And I pray that you'll make in us hearts that just say, yeah, yeah, him too. Yeah, her too. The, the one who you know, slap me in the face, or they just wronged me so badly, man, I just, I really, wouldn't it be cool for them to be a part of this family too? Father, make it us a people who just have that heart, because in all reality, we were your enemy as well, and yet you paid the price, not when we got things right, but while we were still sinners. And we're so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful for your word. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen.